Main menu, the Phantasmagorical Think Tank. Select, new game. Ready player one. This is the Phantasmagorical Think Tank. Today we're going to give an artistic analysis of the video game medium and we'll explore the concept of ludonarrative dissonance. When you think about the history of video games, it's important to remember where they started. Things like Pong and you know arcade games that were also relatively huge machines that had basic concepts behind them where you'd hit the ball back and forth and try and score points, eat all the without being eaten by the ghosts, jump and shoot. Duck Hunt was literally just shoot. It was just shoot. And climb ladder to get princess, which was probably the start of story. <laughs> but as computer technology increased, so too does the complexity of video games. And with more complex video games comes much more complex gameplay and stories. No longer are video games just like one-dimensional stories about you are Mario, save the princess, as Matt alluded to a moment ago. But now there can be like genuinely intense, complex, moral quandaries and dilemmas. Like uh, I've never played The Witcher 3 myself, but I've heard it has this non-linear storyline where your decisions earlier greatly affect the uh, politics of kingdoms and civilizations as a whole. And there's like 30 different endings depending on what you did and how you chose and so you see it's become not just an outlet for entertainment but a genuine medium of art with stories and the ability to evoke emotions out of us they are an experience as much as they are entertaining yeah and uh, on top of that you as a player as games became more individualized and in your home you make your own story to some extent. In numerous games, you have the ability to make your own story rather than playing the same exact story as everybody else. Oh, yeah. Like, um, I'm a huge fan of Skyrim, and I talk about it constantly. Like, there's this assassins organization known as the Dark Brotherhood, and if you want, you can join them and go on a bunch of assassination quests. But also, you can join the police and hunt down the assassins and destroy the Dark Brotherhood. Like, there's a civil war going on between the Imperials of Cyrodiil and the Stormcloaks of Skyrim, and you can join either side, and the game is totally different depending on which side you join. Exactly. Video games are sort of a unique form of art because they allow for choice and a non-linear flow in a way that movies or books simply cannot. So now let's dive into how exactly do video games tell stories? So once again, back in the day, there was this development in games where there would be a cutscene that explains some part of a plot in a linear story, and then you'd play out a certain action or set of actions, and then it would do a cutscene again, and then you'd play out actions, and it would go back and forth between development of story and interactive gameplay where you're fulfilling some sort of section within the story actively. But now that video games are much more complex, we don't necessarily need that uh, division anymore. We can interweave them into this beautiful whole where the story develops 
as you're playing the game and your playing of the game develops the story. I brought up Skyrim in the past and I'll bring it up again. I have this example in my mind of a moment when Skyrim really resonated with me in the way that it both narratively and physically told a story. Uh, if you read books in the library of Skyrim, you'll learn that the ancient dwarven civilizations had this like super advanced steampunk style technology with like essentially robots that were powered by something unknown. And also in the game, there are these magical crystals called soul gems that you can use to enchant your items. And anytime you defeat a villain in Skyrim, you can loot their body. And so whenever you loot an automaton or a robot when you're exploring an ancient dwarven crypt you'll find an active soul gem and so they never explicitly say it but eventually you as the player that is me make the connection oh the thing that's powering their steampunk robot technology is the soul gems and it just fits so well together like ah the same thing that's powering my magic bow is the thing that's powering these robots ah and like no person tells you that there's no narrator that tells you that no book it's just your interactions with the world are the thing that furthers the story. It's beautiful. I love it. And let's define some terms. So first we have ludology, which is the study of games, simply put. And within this study, there are ludic elements, which are just the things you as a player interact with that progress the game. They're the points that you have contact with the game. And the example that I just gave where the ludic elements further the story, I've heard that called ludonarrative harmony, when the ludic elements and the narrative elements aren't like separate entities the way they are in Pac-Man, but rather they're interwoven together into this beautiful cohesive whole. But now let us turn to the opposite. What is ludonarrative dissonance and where does it come from? Ludonarrative dissonance is when the narrative or themes of the game that the game is trying to convey are inhibited by the physical aspects that you interact with, by these ludic elements, i.e. the gameplay itself, the things that you do, don't match up with the story or what is being said by the game. The story told by the gameplay elements are contradict the story told by the like narrative elements what you're supposed to be doing or what you're doing is not cohesive with what the game is trying to convey so this fancy sounding term was originally coined by the video game critic clint hawking in 2007 on his blog click nothing he posted a article about the video game bioshock in 2007 and the article was titled ludonarrative dissonance in bioshock colon, the problem of what the game is about. And I think the subtitle really sums up what ludonarrative dissonance is in a nutshell. Like, it's very unclear what the game is about. That is, like, what message the game is trying to tell you when the story told by, like, a narrator or other characters or, like, classically more cinematic storytelling or cutscenes is telling a totally opposite message by the physical storytelling, that is, the ludic elements. So in the original piece in Bioshock, what it's talking about is the gameplay elements being very based on decision-making. Uh, you run into a number of ethical dilemmas where you could do the right thing, the quote-unquote ethically right thing, 
but it makes it more difficult for you to progress through the game. Or you can do the selfish thing that allows you to progress through the game with ease and rewards you for doing so. But the narrative of the game tells a different story. Spoiler alert for anyone who plans on playing Bioshock and has not already seen or heard of the ending. You find out you're brainwashed and you follow all the commands that follow a certain phrase that you've been brainwashed to do. So the person you're helping, you're not helping via your own free will. Though the, in the gameplay, they are your choices. What the story is saying is that you have no choice and the things you do are what you're told to do. So in this way, the narrative elements that you find out throughout the story are in direct contrast to the ludic elements that are what you're doing and how you play the game. Yeah, like it goes back to the question of what is the game about? Like if you look at just the way you interact with the world, the game is about complimenting people who act altruistically because it's saying like even though you didn't have to, you still took the effort to do it anyway. But if you look at the the narrative themes, what the story is about is determinism and how we're all doomed to act in a certain way. So what is it about? But even in spite of this a somewhat subtle contradiction, I think the concept of ludonarrative dissonance really just goes to show how amazing video games actually can be. Like, the fact that we're providing such cerebral, subtle, nuanced criticisms of a video game really just demonstrates the fact that video games are so sophisticated that we can have this kind of discussion in the first place. Like, the fact that we can discuss the artistic themes of a video game and what message it's providing demonstrates that there is a message there to be provided in the first place. It really solidifies video games' status as a potential to be a genuine form of art as valid and as sophisticated as books, movies, even paintings or sculptures. It kind of reminds me of that old saying, if you don't like me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Here's an example of video games not achieving all that they could achieve, but this just goes to show like how much they can achieve in the first place. And on top of that, just to be clear, like Bioshock is actually a particularly amazing video game, and like Clint Hawking himself actually talks about like this is a genuinely fantastic game, but like ludo narrative harmony rather than ludo narrative dissonance would allow an amazing game already to be superb, you know? Yeah, like, oh, this cake is good, but, you know, it's a little dense. Yeah, like, the concept of ludonarrative dissonance was coined as a way for programmers and video game makers to understand what makes a game good versus what makes a game exceptional. And what's really particularly interesting is that this general criticism of the game that the creators of Bioshock actually sort of leaned into because in the sequels the message of the game is precisely about the illusion of choice like there is ludo narrative harmony in the the second and third but because the ludo narrative harmony is about how we think we have free will when really we don't it gets into like this interesting self-referential paradox where like the ludo narrative dissonance is itself the ludo narrative harmony like the fact that you're contradicting yourself intentionally is what makes you not contradict yourself yeah or kind of like the the theme of bandersnatch which is in itself somewhat of a game rather than a movie mm -hmm. just with uh, really extensive cutscenes. yeah but that that same concept of like 
oh, well, it's a choose-your-own-adventure, but it's going to be about the fact that it is a choose-your-own-adventure and that the choices you make do or don't have repercussions because there's only so many options that we made. Yeah, in fact, um, there's this great book called um, Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud, and in it he says something along the lines of there are two fundamentally different kinds of messages in art. The first is to make more of a tangible message about the external world, while the other is to make a message about the concept of art itself. And I think uh, Bandersnatch and the sequels to Bioshock do uh, fall into the second category because they're sort of commenting on the very medium of video games themselves. They're sort of saying like, aha, you assumed based on like uh, the game Pac-Man and Pong that because you're playing something interactive that you can affect the outcome. But ha ha ho, like not, not so, observe. So Scott, what are some criticisms of ludonarrative dissonance and what, what it means? Yes, thank you for that question, Matt. The concept of ludonarrative dissonance I've heard from second and third hand sources has actually garnered some criticism over the years because it's been misused rather thoroughly. There are people over the past 13 years uh, on the internet who have been using it not necessarily because they have a genuinely sophisticated message to convey or comment to say, but simply because they want to seem smart or bombastic by using a a sophisticated phrase like ludonarrative dissonance. For example, I once watched a, a five-minute YouTube video where somebody says something like, in Mario, the gameplay is such that he keeps dying and I have to restart, but in fiction, Mario never dies. It's just one Mario who wins the whole game in one session. This gameplay is contradicting the fiction. But I think that's not a very good example at all because Mario isn't a story about the finality of death you know like if the story of mario had not been about saving a princess from a castle but had been a story about how once people are dead they're dead forever then the fact that you would constantly be restarting seems a little bit dissonant but the the difference between the user interface and the fiction doesn't strike me as ludonarratively dissonant here because it's not a dissonance about what the game is about am i making any sense or do i just sound like a madman raving No, I get it. It's like it's not so much about the events of the story from the character's point of view, but more so the themes of the story versus the themes that are being put forth through the gameplay. Exactly. It's not like the fiction contradicts the interactive elements, but rather the message conveyed by the interactive elements contradict the message conveyed by the narration and cutscenes. Or even, so, uh, adding on to that, not just thematically, but even emotionally, like, maybe the decisions you make don't match up with the emotions of the character you're playing. Does that seem like it's also a fair point to make? That it's not, it doesn't have to just be thematic, but it's not just so much based on the movement of the story in the linear fashion than it is the characters, the themes, the things that make up the narrative portion of the story. Yeah, like, there's a great example in Tomb Raider, where Laura Croft kills a deer and there's this like minute-long cutscene where she's tearing up because she feels so guilty that she's murdered this innocent, beautiful creature. And then immediately afterwards, you see like uh, some words in the top left that's like, unlocked, kill 10 deer and you'll get bonus points. And so like in this situation, this would still be ludonarrative dissonance because the message about what Laura Croft is like and who Laura Croft is told by the cutscene contradicts 
the fact that the game is encouraging you to murder deer to get bonus points. Okay, yeah. Just wanted to clarify that. So that's a great example. Uh, a second criticism of the development of ludonarrative dissonance among the game-playing community is that it makes people overly critical about the things that make a game, quote-unquote, good or well-made. People look at the fact that there is ludonarrative dissonance in a game and just say... Like, oh, the game has lost significant coverage of being a good game because of that, which is in direct contradiction of what we sort of said earlier, where we're talking about how a game can be good, but ludonarrative dissonance is a barrier that keeps it from being great. But that doesn't mean the game isn't good. It doesn't mean you're not having fun, or it doesn't mean the story isn't compelling. It just means that there's this aspect of the game that halts it from being what it, its full potential could have been. Mm -hmm. A third criticism, we'll get to this a little bit later, but for games that are open world, that are systematically designed to not force you to be any one thing and not forcing you to experience one specific story, it seems that in this situation, ludonarrative dissonance doesn't really apply. Like, again, I, I love Skyrim, so I'm going to keep bringing it over and over again, but... In Skyrim, the other characters tell you things like, you are the dragonborn, you are the benevolent, wonderful, uh, like almost demigod that's going to save us all from the evil dragons because you're such a wonderful, great hero. But in the game, they allow you to do all these horrible things like kill innocent people and break into people's homes and rob them and pick people's pockets and break locks and uh, start a riot in the city. But it kind of poses this interesting paradox where... Skyrim is all about freedom and the concept of an open world where you're allowed to do whatever you want in any order that you want. And so does it really count as ludonarrative dissonance if the message of Skyrim is the go-to storyline is you being good, but you're totally allowed to not do that if you don't want? Like if the storytellers are not only allowing you, but encouraging you to break the story that they themselves wrote for you, does it really count as being dissonant? Please tell me I'm making sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I see what you mean. Just I feel like I understand what you're saying, but I feel like the fact that it's so open world and that you as a character are not defined by your character's actions, but in this case, the story is defining you based on what others are saying, simply means that they're promoting your open worldness. The fact that you aren't in your cutscene saying, well, I'm supposed to be benevolent and awesome. I'm like a good guy. But it's the fact that other people are saying, oh, we see you as a good guy. That I feel like that actually builds into what you're saying of, but it's an open world. So even though others see you as a good guy, you still don't have to be that guy. Oh, yeah. That's a really subtle distinction I hadn't thought of up until this point, but which makes sense. Because what I've noticed about Skyrim is that there's actually zero cutscenes in it. And so your character never actually talks. So your character is whoever or whatever you want him, her, or it to be. So fourth, in terms of criticism, something going back to Bioshock specifically, you can use ludonarrative dissonance for thematic purposes. That could actually be, like we said, part of what you're trying to convey can be emphasized through the fact that the gameplay doesn't necessarily match the story and rolling with that or building off of that. Yeah, like 
any piece of art that wants to convey some paradox in society or some contradiction in another person, in this case, ludonarrative dissonance might actually be the ideal way to convey that literary theme. Yeah, so just like how certain elements in even a, a movie where you're like, oh, the acting is really bad. Like, acting is part of what makes the movie a movie, and for a number of movies, the fact that the acting is bad could just be, like, you genuinely saying, like, oh, like, could actually hurt the movie. But in another way, maybe it's what you're using to convey something. Or, like, in the book Blindness, the a book is typically like, oh, I like that my book is readable and well put together. But in the book Blindness, they intentionally make it difficult for you to tell who's talking and a bunch of things that normally would ruin a story where you're saying like, oh, this doesn't make any sense in the story. Why is the writer so bad at writing or formatting the pages in a way that's readable? Now in Blindness, you're saying, oh, I am myself experiencing the blindness that these people are experiencing because I can't tell who's talking. I need to decipher what's going on in my situation of reading the book. Yeah, I feel like ludonarrative dissonance has the potential to be the video game equivalent of an unreliable narrator, like how an unreliable narrator conveys the truth of the matter better than somebody who's always telling the truth. Yeah, just wrapping up in the concept, it's both harmful of like unintended and unforeseen in terms of how it works, but also just like a bunch of other things, if you use it purposefully for the right purpose, it can be used as a tool rather than a detriment. Mm -hmm. And for the final and fifth general criticism of the concept of ludonarrative dissonance, in video games that are trying to tell a linear story, it seems rather difficult to not have any ludonarrative dissonance whatsoever. Like, uh, perhaps the video game is based on a movie like um, uh, GoldenEye, and it has to follow the plot of the movie that it's based on. In situations like that, it's pretty hard to avoid situations where maybe you as the character or player want to do one thing, but the game is making you do another one. But I think in these situations, it's more or less forgivable. Like, it's not like this video game could just have a fully different ending than the movie and be like, psych, actually, this is not what happened in the movie. <laughs> So it makes sense in those games to be like, oh, maybe you want to actually be merciful to the villain because your idea of James Bond is the kind of guy who would put him in jail rather than kill him. But that's not what happened in the movie. So we're making you kill him. Yeah. I mean, if if you didn't want to play a game that had that sort of factor of ludonarrative dissonance, you shouldn't have played a game that is almost directly related to railroading you such that that ludonarrative dissonance would appear. Yeah, and so to summarize the fifth and final criticism, like, in games that aren't meant to be open world and aren't meant to tell any messages about choice or freedom in the first place, it's kind of forgivable. So it seems like the trade-off here is that some different ratios within gameplay to narration lead to this inevitable ludonarrative dissonance for certain games that may be heavier on narration than gameplay or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And especially for very simplistic, like, shoot 'em up video games, it's hard for the story told by the gameplay to contradict the story told by the narrator in cutscenes, because there's not much of a story told by the narrator in cutscenes in the first place, if any. So, even in spite of uh, all of these criticisms, I personally would like to defend the concept of ludonarrative dissonance as a valid concept to talk about in a discussion about video games. Because the criticisms we pointed out 
have more to do with people misusing the concept rather than an inherent flaw with the concept itself. What are your thoughts on that matter? Can you rephrase? Yeah. Ludonarrative dissonance, as it was originally conjured up, had a very specific, narrow meaning, and it was meant to be a way to criticize subtle flaws in some video games and a way to encourage video games to be better. But some people have sort of criticized it, saying, well, no, it's not really a valid thing to talk about. It doesn't really present any valid, meaningful information for the, for the five reasons we just described. But I'm going to defend ludonarrative dissonance by saying the five criticisms weren't really criticisms of the way it was originally used, but rather taking this very narrow, specific concept and extrapolating it to situations that the original guy who coined the term probably would not have used the term in those situations in the first place. Yeah, so it's more so when you take it in its purest form, it works. But when you take it to a larger scope to what it has become and what it's commonly being thrown around as, it's clear to see why some people might not be in favor of it as a element to bring up. But what you're saying is like, in its purest form... It is good. What it when it's used as intended, it is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard this analogy where like that someone said Luno narrative dissonance should be treated as the fire axe behind a thin layer of breakable glass that's labeled like break in case of emergency. Where like you are allowed to use it if the situation genuinely calls for it, but in all normal situations, like leave it be. And when I say normal situations, I mean like anything outside of this very specific, narrow concept and situation. Yeah, like not every game is telling a story, so you can't just... Like Mario isn't exactly mm -hmm. like big thematic or emotional things with Mario, so you're not supposed to say, oh, but there's ludonarrative dissonance in Mario, because why? <laughs> mm -hmm. And going back to some of the criticisms, I think it's important to look at Intended play, as we sort of alluded to earlier, and Scott mentioned we were going to discuss more um, in our third thing, or in our third criticism, where we mentioned Skyrim. So what exactly is ludonarrative dissonance when you don't necessarily have to do what the game, like, you don't have to move with the story in a non-linear story format or in a more open-world format, where, where there's intended play of, well like the story we want you to go by but the fact that it's so open that you have so many options means that you don't necessarily need that the gameplay itself doesn't need to match the story in the first place like where does ludonarrative dissonance fall there and yeah open world video games almost remind me of like the fun uncle where like when your mom and dad are leaving for the evening and your uh, your fun uncle is like babysitting you and he's like okay kids i don't want to see any of you guys misbehaving and then he like gives you a big wink and you know like he actually wants you to go and play some fun board games or goof off or you, you, hopefully i am conveying my point or maybe a good way of phrasing it is again to go back to the core concept of what is this game about really it's not dissonance at all but rather on the surface it presents itself as if the game is about you being a wonderful noble hero but then when you dive deeper and you realize what the game is subtly suggesting you do or don't do you realize the 
surface level story isn't what the game is about at all. What's what the game is really about is whatever you make of it. Yeah, I, I, I get what you mean, though. There's like the potential for the story there. It's not the themes. It's not what it's not the character that you get because you get to make the character and say Skyrim. You get to be who you want to be, do what you want to do. And that's the gameplay building in the story, as we said before, you know, gameplay actions you make. They build the story, they build the world, not necessarily the story itself as a separate thing. The narration is there as a separate thing, but the narration, like you said, the gameplay and the story are interwoven, and the narration can be interwoven with that story too, but the narration isn't the story. It's the game that's the story. Yeah, it's almost like a a wrapping on a candy bar. You don't buy a a candy bar for the wrapping, you buy it for the candy bar. (laughs) As a final way to round off this conversation... If the game makers genuinely didn't want you to do something, they wouldn't have programmed it into the game in the first place. The fact that it's there and the fact that they allow you to do that suggests that they want you to do it in the first place. So what the game is about is whatever the open world game allows you to do. But of course, uh, this only applies to open world games where the core intent is to let you do whatever you want. So... At a broader level, the the reason why I really wanted to make an episode about ludonarrative dissonance is because the concept forces us to sort of take a step back and ask the following questions. What exactly is a video game, and what are video games all about? As I've been hinting at this whole time, like, no longer are video games only an outlet for entertainment. They are, of course, still entertaining and fun and enjoyable, but they're more than that. They're entertainment that is also art, that also convey powerful emotions, that tell stories in a subtle and nuanced way that no other medium of art can. And building off of that, a lot of video games and creations of video games are trying to still find what they're trying to do, you know, focus more on gameplay, focus more on the narr- narrative, how to put them together, putting the pieces together because it's so new. You know, it's not like a painting where, oh, like, yes, there's still new things that can come up in art and art as a trend develops, but games are just so new that and and so malleable with all the different types of games you can play, categories and forms of gameplay that you really have to ask, like, not just in terms of entertainment, but can you judge all games the same? Like, if where you know where is the intent where is this going where is the intent to give you that emotional experience is the intent to make the game as open world as possible is the intent to convey a a thematic point or or a lesson you're supposed to take away from the narrative side of it or like how does the develop like games are currently developing so how can we judge them in this the same way yeah like um When the medieval era ended and the Renaissance began in Europe, people started asking questions like, um, what if we tried to represent 3D objects on a two-dimensional painting? How does that work? How do we judge depth? How do we judge light and tone and texture and things like that? And over the course of 400 years, we've worked out all the kinks such that there are some like genuinely photorealistic pencil drawings that I can think of that I've seen at like LACMA. But... Video games are still in the stage where people are sitting around saying, what sort of things can we do with this technology? What are, what's the full potential of this? I think my main point that I would like to drive home is that A, games are 
complex and developing, so is their criticisms. And B, ludonarrative dissonance is not a way necessarily to just outright criticize a game, but it should be seen as a tool and or detriment, like an aspect of a game on a scale. Like I, you know, like as if you could give it a five star scale if it's totally ludonarratively harmonious or zero if it's ludonarratively dissonant and then see how that plays into the game as a whole. Like it's a it's a tool of varying degrees rather than an instant detriment in its presentation. Mm-hmm. Very well said. And building off of what you just said, like it also makes us realize video games are a medium, not a genre, in the same way that a movie is not one genre. There are many different kinds of stories that can be told with a video camera. Matt, is that a ghost coming towards me? Hurry, get the big pallet. Oh no, it's it's too far away and Inky's coming towards me. No, no, no. Game over. This has been the Phantasmagorical Think Tank.